This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is Pacific Beach on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, killings in Papua New Guinea have prompted unexpected calls against retaliation by tribal leaders in a major step toward peace in the community. This is unprecedented. They're saying that they will not uh, ask for compensation. It also goes against their cultural values and norms. In Vanuatu, a fire that brought down a cultural landmark has many people asking what more can be done to protect the country's iconic buildings. We should have taken more precautions. And we speak to Sprigamek, whose music video for the song Dodge the Bullet is finding international acclaim. All that and more today on the show. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. So glad to have your company. First, though, as political change sweeps through Fiji, the country's national broadcaster, the FBC, is making itself over too. Out is the CEO, Riaz Saeed Kayum, brother of the country's former attorney general. He's been criticized for his hefty salary and publicly funded expenses while serving as FBC's head. In, though, is Ajay Amrith. He's the recently appointed chair of the national broadcaster and joins us on the line from Fiji right now. Uh, Bula Vinaka, Ajay. Uh, Bula Vinaka. Bula Vinaka. Um, Mr. Amrith, as the new chairman of FBC, one of your first tasks was the removal of the CEO, Riyad Saeed Kayum. Why was his contract terminated? Well, well, basically, uh, that wasn't the uh, mandate. The mandate wasn't to remove anyone, actually. But uh, what we did, we had a seven-hour marathon um, board meeting with Mr. Kayum and his uh, executives and it was quite clear within the first hour that uh, the public service broadcasting grant that's uh, given to FPC, which is a whopping, I think, almost a million dollars a month, um, was uh, they were actually living on that. If you want to get technical, the actual company itself was insolvent. Uh, what was greater, uh, much greater concern to us was there's absolutely zero strategic plan going forward. So that clearly identified to me that uh, FBC uh, had no business plan going forward, no commercial plan going forward, and absolutely no plan to be self-sustaining. So basically they were were saying, okay, we'll get this grant and we'll just carry on. And then on top of the grant, which is public money, as you know, uh, we could see there was excesses, excesses for wages, excesses for ordering brand new vehicles for the CEO, bonuses given to the CEO, even during COVID when everyone else was, uh, you know, basically uh, uh, taking pay cuts or, or being sacked. Mm. So so I guess the, the claim is is that um, Mr. Kayum was, was dipping into these public funds for his own benefit rather than the benefit of this um, publicly funded broadcaster. Ha- has the previous CEO been given the opportunity to respond to those allegations? No, he has been, absolutely. We, we, uh, we called him up on uh, Monday and, um, uh, you know, uh, th- th- these aren't allegations. These, these are in black and white. These are um, um, decisions made according to what information we are given by the CFO. And uh, I'll give you an example. Like, uh, uh, as you probably know, we have the highest debt in, H- in Fiji's history. The um, you know, health services are crumbling. 
infrastructure is crumbling. Um, unemployment is the highest ever. We have uh, the highest ever rate of um, of uh, poverty, and um, the CEOs' uh, wages just kept increasing, kept increasing. Uh, it, it wouldn't sound a lot to you, been in Australia, but uh, the average wage here is probably about twenty thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars a year. And um, when you have a CEO who's earning thirty-two. Uh, thousand dollars a month there's something wrong somewhere mm. so so his monthly sal- salary is something that uh, fijians would would earn over a year um and i understand he he also had expenses like a like a car that was two hundred thousand thousand dollars dollars yes and fully 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 maintained by the fbc organization he doesn't have to put one cent in uh everything from uh you know uh, in terms of looking after it, in terms of servicing, everything is done through the company. Mm. I mean, considering that, Mr. Amrith, aren't there broader questions to ask? I mean, this is a public broadcaster. This money yes. is given to them by the government. Yes. Why wasn't this um, flagged earlier? Why was this? Why was the CEO able to get away with this for so long? Well, I, I, you know, I can't answer that until we have more investigations. But uh, you also have to understand that the. Mr. Kayum's brother was the, also the Attorney General. He was also the Minister of Economy. He was also the Minister of Communications. He was also the Minister of Public Enterprise. And um, uh, so my understanding is the board, uh, he reports to the board, and then the board report to his brother. That's my understanding. I may be wrong, but I need to look into that bad present. That's what it's starting to look like. Mm. Now, um, details of Mr. Kayum's salary, these benefits, as we've been outlining here, were released mm. publicly. I understand it was released through the media, through FBC itself. Why was that necessary for you to go to the media first when it came to these expenses? Can't can't they be uh, made available in annual reports or the government's budget? I mean, I ask this, Mr. Amrith, because we're seeing online people, you know, are absolutely appalled at what's happening and really targeting Mr. Kayum. Was this the best way yeah. to make this public? I think, yeah, I think at the end of the day, it, it's a public entity. That's number one. So the public on it, not Mr. Kayum, number one. Number two is... There's nothing wrong in revealing someone's wage packet and how much they get. I think um, if it's a if, uh, it's a hundred percent uh, owned by the people of Fiji, there's no private investors or anything like that. If it's a private company, that's fine. You can earn as much as you want if the board say. But for me, what's disappointing is the fact that this the uh, this uh, the Fijian Broadcasting Corporation was given ninety three million seven hundred and $82,811.45 over the time that Mr. Kayum was uh, CEO. And that's government fund. That, that's funding. That, that's, that's for the uh, public service broadcasting. And, and, I, I, and, I, and I had a look and tried to work out what, uh, you know, overall, what was the income, what was the expenditure. In the time he was CEO, he made losses of $63,152,072. So that in itself will answer a lot of questions into whether it was a successfully run company or not. Mm. I understand that that public service broadcasting is, is something that's needed. I think ABC are funding, but this is an organization that's double dipping. It's, it's, it's public, it has public uh, 
broadcast funds from directly injected from government. Then it has a. Uh, it, then on top of that, it's a commercial uh, TV and radio station, and on top of that, um, up till 2016, I believe it uh, they, there was a um, public service uh, grant from government of about uh, roughly about 2.9 to 3.5 million, and then suddenly it, it just jumped to 11 point something million, and uh, that's been going on since 2016. Now, Mr. Amrith, you've, you've come in at a time where it seems that, that FBC is struggling financially. Um, you've, you, you've publicly said that you would only be play, paid $1 in director's fees at FBC. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why, why did you um, think that was necessary? No, I, I just felt that, look, the, you know, I was tapped on the shoulder and asked, look, there is a big problem at FBC. There's a, a huge amount of government funds being ploughed into FBC. And I felt, well, you know, if I'm going to go and have a look at a, a company that technically is insolvent, how can I even think of taking um, uh, any fees for, for being a director or chairperson? So that, that, that's just a personal opinion. And, I, and uh, that's my own opinion. No, no one else is. Everyone else is, is entitled to be paid. But uh, that's just my opinion. I mean, what does it mean for, for the national broadcaster itself, for its content, for the reporters? And you said $93 million was what was being given to the FBC, or even more than that, in fact. Will the money that went uh, went to the FBC, went to the CEO, be rerouted to operations to actually make sure um, reporters get a living salary and can report what they need? The bottom line is, is that very early days, we, we just, we're just going through the reports now, um, we, we can't point a finger at anyone at, at the moment, but what we can say is every job is secure. Uh, it's business as usual, but we have to look in a different direction as to how the whole corporation will be run. Uh, the, the situation is we have to be less reliant on the public, uh, 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 the public service, uh, service broadcasting uh, cash injection from government, and we have to be more reliant on um, on uh, our commercial based uh, uh, you know programs, so basically a lot to do it 's very early in the piece, but uh, we 're getting information every day and we 're working on a business plan which wasn 't there on how to wean ourselves off. Uh, being so dependent on government. Mm, could could it be privatised? Could FBC become privatised? I, I don't think that would be the answer, but what I can see going forward are various business models, which I can't discuss at the moment because they're in the preliminary stages, but there's three or four options. But the first and foremost is uh, it's business as usual. Um, the 240-plus uh, staff who are there, everything is fine. Please continue to do your work. And we will work for it, and we will uh, advise the company as as we're going along. But first and foremost, I want to uh, specifically thank and assure our hardworking, diligent staff and senior management that uh, we appreciate everything they do at FBC. And it is business as usual, but we are certainly moving in new goals and, new, new, and towards new opportunities. Mm. Now, Mr. Mamrath, we've been speaking about the um, former CEO of FBC's uh, relationship with the former Attorney General and, and what yes. that might mean with his um, the way he carried out, it, carried out his duties. Yes. Now, I understand you yourself have a very strong relation to the current government and, in fact, the current Prime Minister, um, Sitiwini Rambuka. You were part yes. of Rambuka's campaign, in fact, and helped found his party. 
Why should Fijians be confident that you'll serve fairly, without bias, without influence, as chair of the, this national broadcaster? Well, uh, that's pretty easy. Uh, number one is uh, I've resigned from the party, so it's nothing to do with the party anymore. Number two is I seek no personal or financial gain. Number three is I have an understanding, and not just me, but we have a great team um, uh, within the, the, the new board who are made up of um, uh, two lawyers, uh, myself, and um, a, a banker who's had 35, uh, 35 to 37 years of experience in the, in the private sector. It's, uh, it's, it's not just me. It's a collaborative effort. We all work together. And we make decisions together. As a chairperson, obviously, I'll be the spokesman, and that's what they've decided. But we have one objective, and the objective is to make FBC viable and not so dependent on public funds. Number two is that uh, FBC uh, is totally dependent, it seems, on government. And I believe the, the, the um, CEO, whether he knew or not, was... Um, basically going from year to year and trying to increase the the, the funds that uh, derived from government. And as you know, we have the highest uh, debt level in Fiji's history, um, and uh, the, 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 there's so much rot that needs to be sorted out. So I'm just a small uh, part of the jigsaw, and we just have to get these things fixed and turn things around. I don't think there's anything wrong in that. So, so can you, I mean, say that you're you're not getting directions from the government because Mr. Kayum absolutely perhaps, not, absolutely not. Because this, I'm getting direction from one thing that's from the board. Because this this termination of Mr. Kayum happens yes. amid a lot of other suspensions across the public service in yeah. Fiji yeah. by the government. Absolutely. I mean, what, how do you respond to allegations that this oh, is a witch out that hunt that you're carrying very, carrying out on behalf of the government? I can I can respond to that in a very um, confident manner that we sat with the FBC CEO and his seven, seven executives for seven hours on Friday. And it became, uh, it be, you know, it became quite obvious to us that the public service broadcasting cash injection from government, you know, during his tenure as CEO, um, uh, was, was, uh, was what they were relying on. And um, this limited liability company was classed as basically being technically insolvent. Now, how can we continue to run a company? Uh, we have no confidence in a, in, in a CEO who is running the company. His, uh, his wages are increasing dramatically year after year. His bonuses, even during COVID, it didn't stop. He just kept getting bonuses. He got $25,671.28 bonus during COVID, where everyone else <laughs> had to take pay cuts. It, uh, you know, uh, there's a saying the FBC say, they say the difference is clear. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, I, I don't want to sound smart, but it was within one hour you could tell that this operation just did not have any direction. It was a rudderless um, boat. Well, the difference is clear, Mr. Amrith. What what are the differences that you hope to bring in as chairperson of FBC? What happens next? Will a new CEO be tapped on the shoulder? Absolutely, we we will we will look for a new CEO. At present, we have a very capable CFO, but as you know, CFOs look after money more than mm -hmm. actually directions of the company, and we will find someone who has uh, 
an understanding uh, of uh, of the media, and not just that, but someone who under, has an understanding of how the system works in Fiji. We, 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 we want to promote within our own rather than try and bring someone from outside. Um, and, uh, and we're on the lookout now. Uh, at the end of the day, the, the decision made not just by me but by the board was unanimous that uh, we cannot continue down the road we were going with Mr. Kayum. And regardless of, of, you know, who he is or what he is or how he is, uh, we have a lot of respect in terms of the position of CEO. So whoever it was, uh, if they were um, if they were running the company as we saw here, they would be terminated. Simple as that. Okay. Well, Mr. Amrith, you've got a lot ahead of you as a new chairperson of FBC. Um, thank you so much for your time this morning on Pacific Beat. Thank you very much. God bless and have a lovely day. Vinaka. You too, too Vinaka. That was Ajay Amrit, the new chair of the Fiji Broadcasting Corporation, speaking to us about some of those um, big changes that he's brought in, including the um, very interesting uh, termination of the CEO, or former CEO now, Riaz Syed Kayum. listening to Pacific Beach. We're halfway through the week. It is a Wednesday. Hope you're easing into things and, uh, yes, looking at the weekend, which is not too far away. In what's being considered a first for Papua New Guinea, tribal leaders in Enga province are calling for peace and urging no payback killings following the death of 11 tribal members. The ABC's Hilda Wayne spoke to Enga's provincial police commander, George Kakas, who said that it's an unprecedented call unlike any he's seen before. Uh, The councillor on behalf of the tribes spoke out and said that they will not take revenge, they will not uh, ask for compensation, and uh, they will bury the dead, but they ask the, the police to carry out its, uh, its normal course of uh, investigation to uh, all the, the villages or the perpetrators uh, in this massacre responsible. Uh, this move, uh, as PPC, I've never come across uh, such a stance uh, given by a tribal uh, tribe or a person in anger uh, and uh, I think I can speak for the other provinces, uh, other islands provinces as well. This is unprecedented. Uh, uh, they're saying that they will not uh, ask for compensation. Uh, it also goes against their cultural values and norms uh, and also they will not uh, be involved in any uh, uh, violence, uh, paybacks, uh, retaliation for the matter of the uh, 11 uh, tribes, men and women. So, uh, as the commander in uh, in charge of the police in in Wabek, uh, I was uh, surprised that uh, they came and gave a stand uh, uh, of such a nature. But uh, the councillor Polkulai explained that uh, you know they, they wanted all of Inga to know because there's a lot of uh, killings, murders. You've established a task force. Uh, what are they doing at the moment in okay, terms of the, bringing the bringing you know some justice, some form of justice? Yes, I've appointed four detectives to be in charge of the high-profile investigation team in my province. Uh, they are going down to the roots, the basics, and identify all the perpetrators involved from which clan. From the Sungu alliances, we've identified about four tribes. Uh, we've uh, put in the government to assist in the retaliation. And from the uh, Piao Kumangun, we've uh, established that there were three other tribes also who came in. Their missionaries came in to assist them to 
go and set the ambush to uh, get the, uh, retrieve the, the firearm back. So a couple of our tribes involved, and they're all scared that they're moving back and forth. You know, they don't have any... Uh, they're deeply rooted in the in villages and, uh, you know, normal people. Uh, they're just uh, floating around like uh, uh, renegades and all that. But we've uh, identified which areas they're t- taking haven, uh, safe haven and hiding and moving from. So once we establish those, we, uh, you know, normal, normal police work will ensue. We will try to uh, do raids, uh, arrest the perpetrators, whichever way we can. That was Enga's Provincial Police Commander, George Kakas. The reporter there was Hilda Wayne. Vanuatu police continue to investigate a devastating fire that burned down a cultural landmark in the country, the headquarters of the Malvatu Maori Council of Chiefs. The fire at the Chiefs Nakamal, an important customary building, broke out in the early hours of Monday morning. While it's unclear whether the fire was an accident, the country's first president says not enough is being done to protect traditional culture. Mackenzie Smith with this report. The fire was already raging by the time the president of the Malvatu Māori, Chief Willie Plasua, was woken at around 2am and given the news. By the time firefighters arrived at the scene, it was too late. And the identity blew you mean? It is our identity it represented, our identity and our resources. It's something that stayed with us for thousands of years. It's a slap on the face of authority of Vanuatu's customs. As the central meeting house of the Malvatu Māori, the Nakamal was an important cultural site. The Prince of Wales, now King Charles, received a chiefly title in 2018 there, and local journalist Dan McGarry says a plaque marking the occasion has now been reduced to a charred lump. In Vanuatu, there's widespread outrage over the loss of the building, but little is known about how the fire started. Vanuatu police say they are still working to establish whether it was a criminal act. They have been assisted by their Australian counterparts, and a forensics team will arrive on the next available flight. Chief Willie Plasur wants answers. I want to know what is the cause of the fire. We can't point the finger at one person. Let custom look. We got all the witnesses. We got the Nakamal itself. It too witnessed the fire. To find out the cause, we need everyone's help, including nature. One local who witnessed the fire, Silverio Molkis, says it was too late for him to do anything. The fire just took off. The smoke was also everywhere. It covered the whole place and I couldn't see anything. I started calling the fire station, but I just couldn't reach them. I jumped in my car to try and get there instead. And when I got there, they were all asleep. I kept on shouting at them, but no one responded. By the time the fire crew responded and they returned to the Nakamal, it had burned down. Footage from the day after shows smouldering ruins, the building reduced to ash and a few blackened columns. Melody Tate from Indigene Lawyers works across the road and describes arriving to work on Monday morning. There's smoke all around the area and um, ashes around um, our office doorsteps. Yeah, but we I don't really know anything about um, what might have happened or how the fire started. Still, not everything was destroyed by the fire. 
Visiting what was left, the first president of Vanuatu, Ati George Sokumanu, noticed an auspicious sign. One thing that struck me was the the two customary statues, you know, the drums uh, that we sometimes call it tam-tam. Those two were not, the fire didn't touch uh, them, although they were very close to to the area. He's calling on customary and political leaders in Vanuatu to do more to help people understand the importance of the country's culture and tradition. But until that happens, he'd like to see measures taken to improve security of the chief's Nakamal. We should have taken more precautions. Uh, for instance, uh, making some people uh, to guard the place or even someone to live near the, the area so that they can uh, look after the building. Chief Willie Plasua is urging patience from the chiefs as they work to rebuild the Nakamal. Businesses on the premises have also been closed until further notice. Now that was Mackenzie Smith reporting there with additional support from our Vanuatu reporter, Hilaire Boulay. It's time to find out what's been making news around the region. I'm not playing around for this in, with this intro because it's gotten me into some tricky situations uh, in the past. But I will say, as always, we're joined by Kyle Evans. Good morning, Kyle. Morning, Priyanka. Um, now, some uh, tricky situations in New Caledonia as well. Now, we, you, I think was it yesterday that you were telling us about this shark bite in one of the bays there in, in Numia, the capital. And now... Three tiger sharks have been killed by authorities following that attack. Um, why is that the case? Yeah, that is right. So uh, three four-metre tiger sharks, so they're not, not small ones, that's for sure, mm. have been shot as, uh, as part of an effort to, uh, to clear sharks from the populated areas uh, around Noumea. And this, of course, does come after that, uh, that attack yesterday in which a 40... Uh, sorry, on Tuesday. Wait, that was yesterday. Yes. <laughs> in which a uh, 49-year-old woman uh, was mauled. So this has sparked what authorities have called a scientific scientific operation to find the shark responsible. Uh, and, and in addition to the four that were killed, a, uh, a bull shark was also captured and had its stomach, its stomach analysed. Mm, okay. Three three or four killed? Four, four so, sharks? Uh, yeah, I guess, well, I guess the bull shark was probably oh, killed was as well. As You're well. right. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes indeed. Right. indeed. Um, yeah, that is uh, yeah, quite uh, interesting stuff. I am an animal advocate, but I do understand that when sharks kill humans, you need to take action. Um, I believe this has been all being reported in uh, La Première, the New Caledonian local um, uh, French paper or French news outlet. Um, you can head there to find out more. But did they mention why they're actually killing these sharks and analysing their stomachs? They didn't, but I, I can speculate, only because I've heard this theory um, a, a number of times before, mm-hmm. particularly living up in North Queensland where there was uh, a lot of uh, crocodiles um, oh, yes. up there. But um, killings. That's right. Once once someone is uh, is attacked, they often do need to track them down to search for human re- human remains. There is a there is a bit of a theory or a hypothesis, I guess, that um, once someone is attacked, that uh, they the animal could then identify the person as you know someone 
potentially be on the menu, um, <laughs> so to speak. So uh, they get a I think taste for human. That's flesh, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. So uh, I think uh, yeah, for safety concerns, they'll often choose to euthanize the animal, which you know it's probably wrong on some levels as well. Mm, yes, quite controversial, and and that'll continue today in New Caledonia. Is that right? The the operation to l- round up the shark. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the operation will continue today. Uh, swimming and water activities uh, have been prohibited until at least tomorrow. So we'll see how that one plays out. Yes, yes. Hopefully, no other sharks lost in that tragic incident and no matter limbs as well lost as well um, from from many humans. Um, Now let's head uh, well to the United States but it involves a Tongan family um, because they've filed a lawsuit after their son was tragically killed in a police chase in the United States. Um, A lot of scrutiny put on police behaviour particularly recently uh, um, after that killing. Um, What's happening here though? Yeah so uh, a Tongan family uh, in California has filed a wrongful death lawsuit uh, after a 27-year-old man, uh, Loloman Soakaya was his name, was struck by a vehicle. So this occurred while he was waiting with his family uh, outside a popular burrito truck, uh, and it's alleged that it was due to an unauthorised police re- police pursuit. So a number of outlets have actually reported this, and uh, police were apparently chasing a car at about 100 miles an hour before losing control and ploughing into multiple vehicles. So two of the victim's family members... Uh, were injured as well, uh, alongside one of his friends. Oh gosh, I guess this happened. Must have happened a while ago. But do we know if the the people were okay? Yeah. So the three the three other people survived. Um, his mother, who's actually launching the lawsuit, she suffered a broken back herself, oh, but gosh. lost much more than that in her son. Obviously, um, she's alleged that the police pursuit was actually done illegally, um, without lights on, uh, and basically, you know, all to satisfy sort of the ego of the officers for just just to catch a guy for a low level traffic violation. Mm-hmm. So. Look, she, she's not too happy, and, and, and understandably so. And it's more bad publicity for the uh, you know, the U.S. police just following the death of uh, of Tyre Nichols recently, who was yeah fatally fatally beaten and, and caught on camera. Yes, yes, um, yes. That's been making news, I guess, around the world. Really, that that um, tragic death. And yes, very interesting when we hear, I guess, as as foreigners hearing these news of of what the police does. I, I don't see hear familiar similar things happening, at least in Australia and even in the Pacific. Um, it's it is rare to see um, this happen, but um, yeah, we'll see. Keep an eye on that lawsuit and see what happens. Um, now, as to some, I guess, lighter news, uh, some sports news. A top Solomon Islander player, uh, a soccer player, in fact, has signed with a European club. Who is it? Yeah, well, that's who's right. the club so, and who's the player? <laughs> so Raphael Lei, who's uh, probably probably the most well known soccer player in, in the Solomon Islands at the moment, I guess uh, he, he's become the country's first player ever uh, to be signed by a club in Europe. So this is reported by the Solomon Island Times, and he signed with Bosnian club. Uh, FK Vales Mozza, who I'll admit I haven't heard of. I don't yeah, think I, a, ask. I don't think they're a super well-known club uh, out, outside of that part of Europe. Um, but it's a symbolism alone, uh, which is which is what's huge here. You know, he, he could have played pre- pretty much anywhere. He could have played in Australia, but obviously shot for bigger heights. Um, the club has a pretty rich history too, from from the research I've done. Mm-hmm. It's been around since 1922. It's a very old club, uh, one of the most successful clubs in Bosnia. So, so yeah, look, all up, not bad for a kid who played his uh, junior soccer at the Henderson Eels FC. Oh, wow. Yes, very um, exciting. Yeah, we, we wish him 
Very well. And I think he's a popular guest, particularly on Richard's show, the sports show that airs um, every morning here on Radio Australia on, well, every Friday morning, I should say, um, on Radio Australia, Richard Hewitt. Um, has he plan- does he have plans to speak to that? Yeah, himself? I can confirm that Richard's actually going to be speaking to the person who engineered ah, uh, okay. the, the deal uh, the, the deal to get him over to Bosnia. So that, that'll be really interesting. So, uh, so listeners, tune in for that one on Friday. Yes, yes, very interesting. And, I, and I, yes, I believe we've been following Lee's career for quite a while on, on that show across Pacific Beat as well. Um, Kyle, thank you for the stories. And do you know, coming up, we've got Sprigger Mech, a, a friend friend of the show who won Pacific Break back in 2019. And I believe you set up this interview because he has a new uh, music video that's being shown internationally, right? Yeah, not so much a, a new music video. It's, uh, it's been around for a little while, but yeah, it's just been discovered internationally. So <laughs> three years too late, if you ask me, but uh, no, it's a great, great video and uh, looking forward to hearing the song. Yes, yes, that is. Yeah, it'll be shown in a DC festival and that'll be coming up very soon after this short break. Celebrate the pride of the Pacific. You know, we're proud of our country and our heritage. Stay up to date with all the latest sporting news. So emotional every time we go out there and you sing the, you know, the national anthem. And hear inspiring stories from some of the Pacific's finest athletes. I've grown so much confidence within myself and I never thought I would be the player that I am today. Watch That Pacific Sports Show Wednesday nights at 7 PNG time on ABC Australia. Now, regular listeners to Pacific Beat might very well recognize this song, Dodge the Bullet. It's the song that led artist Sprigamek to claim the top prize in the 2019 Pacific Break Music Competition. And now Sprigger has another international milestone to celebrate. The music video for that song, Dodge the Bullet, will be screened in front of an international audience at the Mother Tongue Film Festival in Washington, D.C. later this month. And that festival is hosted by the Smithsonian. That's the considered one of the largest museum, education and research complexes in the world. PNG rapper Sprigamek is with us right now. Good morning to you, Sprigger. Hey, good morning. Uh, and congrats- Thanks for having me again. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, um, it's lovely to have you on, especially considering this um, great achievement here. Um, congratulations for your music video uh, to be selected for this international film festival. How did it all happen? Uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, so I think uh, one of the the members of the panel, the they, I think they usually research and go out looking for um, music videos with you know the local indigenous language of any country, and I think uh, they basically I think they stumble across it. I think <laughs> by luck or by chance, I think yeah. Oh, so, so you didn't have to apply? Person, I I didn't apply at all. It's like by luck, <laughs> this happened. Yeah, <laughs> so I didn't apply. They stumble across it and they submitted it. And that I think after they approved it, they wanted it to be included. Then they approached me. So I was surprised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you received the phone call saying, or email, or however they contacted you, saying that you, yeah. how did you, how did you feel, feel considering you didn't even know they, that you were being considered? Yeah, um, they contacted me via email. And I, I thought it was like, uh, you know, <laughs> these scams, <laughs> one of those scams where they just play up, play with you and stuff. Until, yeah, like we conversed and then eventually I was, oh, yeah, it, 
it's really weird. So they connect me with my phone as well. So yeah, it's I didn't expect it. You know, it just one of those things that just came came about. So yeah, it's you know it's an honor and it's, it's a blessing at the same time to have you know my, our work. It's like a collaborative effort. So uh, like especially um, the guy who shot the video. Uh, Digital Storybox, she did a really ama- good, amazing job with that. And the guy who produced the song as well, yeah, uh, Madman Comet. And yeah, Majin Muganawa, the guy who shot the video, yeah. Majin Muganawa, yeah, because I, I wanted to ask you about the uh, music video. I, I had a, a, a look at it and not only is the song great, but you're right, the music video tells its own story and, and really captures Port Moresby life, isn't it? It sort of cuts away from you to, you know, people at the market, people walking down the street. Um, yes. Really impactful. And yeah. Why why did you choose to make the music video in, in that way? What was the message that you wanted to tell? Oh, yes. Uh, so, you know, uh, there's been a lot of um, news about Papua New Guinea's state of affairs in the media over the past couple of years. And as a citizen, you know, I, I'm born and bred here, I live here, so I, I see what's happening every day with, uh, within our country. So, and I, I really like, I'm a conscious music artist, so I just thought like someone has to really get down to it, the nitty gritty of what's really happening and call stuff out. So I, I decided to take that gamble. And so I wrote the song and Addressing corruption, um, the uh, perpetrator of the 40 Maseratis, you know, taxpayers' money is going to waste. There's no medicine in the hospitals. So I took a gamble and I just wrote it. And, you know, I knew it was going to, you know, raise some eyebrows when mm-hmm. I did it. And also when it came to the video, um, I just let Nigel Muganawa, I just told him, man, no script. We just go to the scene and, you know, you just tell me where to stand, how to move, how to act, and you direct everything. I'll just let go with it. So, like, we just kind of experimented with the whole idea. And that's how uh, the video, he came about. And, yeah, so far, it's really been good. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you you must have had a lot of trust in him to do that. And and it seems like this gamble, this experiment paid off. You you are going to um, have the f- film screened at the this Mother Tongue Film Festival in Washington, D.C. And now Mother Tongue, I assume it's yeah. to do with, um, you know, performing in your own language. Or do you know why this particular music video, this particular strong song struck a chord with the film critics? Um, yeah, I think because the Marathon Film Festival, they're all about um, promoting indigenous language. And so I think that's what really stood out to the the panel. Because mm. what I did was the verses are in Pidgin, but uh, the chorus is in English. So I think that's what really at least made them understand what it was all about. So until I sent the, they asked for the translation. So when I sent the translation of all the verses, then they realized the depth and the message in that song, which what it was really about. So they were really um, thankful that I sent the mess, uh, the translation. They really understood more what the song was about. So yeah, um, yeah, it's. I, I wanted to say, I guess, Sprigger, being from Papua New Guinea, you're sort of spoiled for a choice with the languages and, I guess, the cultural sounds that you can dip into. Yeah, man. <laughs> why, There's 800 why? plus languages. So. There you go. There you go. Um, why Why did you, well, this particular song, Dodge the Bullet, is said pidgin and English. Why did you decide yeah. to do, do that, sing in pidgin and also use English as well? 
Yeah, well, pidgin, you know, because it's the most common tongue in Papua New Guinea, apart from English. Most people in the rural areas, let's say 90, 95% of our people, they understand English. Ah, sorry, pidgin. Mm. So I, I thought they would they would relate to it more if I did it in pidgin. But then I thought of the international audience as well. So I thought I'd put the chorus in English. And then, you know, for such purposes. And then, yeah, it's kind of worked out now. So, like, people at least understood, had a fair idea what the song was about. So, yeah, I think that plan and that approach, yeah, really paid off. Yes, and perhaps so, helped yeah. you get into this uh, film, film festival if you are just tuning yeah, in. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, it's still unreal. Like, it's, it's uh, like I've heard about the Smithsonian growing up. Like, you know, it's this really prestigious organization, this Museum of Arts and Culture and stuff. And, you know, when I just got the email and call, I was like, I couldn't believe it, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know yeah. the Smithsonian as well. It is a big, big institution. And, and for you to be, yeah. I mean, are you going, Sprigger? Are you going to um, attend this Mother Tongue Film Festival where your um, music video is screening in person? Well, um, I hope so because I'm, 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 I've written the sponsors and I'm just, I'm just waiting for sponsors. So mm. hopefully I can make the trip. <laughs> but it's just, just uh, them screening my my video alone it's an honor but i'd i'd love to go but yeah i've, I've just written out to a couple of business houses and just i put a I put an article out on the on the media just to see if i'd get some response but i don't because i don't usually get res, um response from my own government so i think it's because of the song but you know that's that's, that's that was expected so yes yes <laughs> you know. when you criticize the government in the song they they might not yeah. open open their wallets for you but i mean hopefully you get to head there have you been to uh, america or washington dc before yes i've been to america in the past 2018 especially washington dc i went for a two week road trip yeah mm-hmm. my my partner graduated in 2018 so I was privileged to go attend the ceremony. So, yeah, I've been to America before. Okay. Well, hopefully once again, um, you'll, you'll be able to go. Um, and, well, if not, at least people here nearby us in, in um, Pacific Beat, at least, uh, Melbourne, which is where we yes. broadcast from, you'll be coming here as well, Sprigger. Is that right? Yes. I'll be seeing you guys in uh, March 18th at, at the Sydney Maya Bowl for the Pacific's concert, uh, show, yeah. Ah, oh, that's that's so exciting! Oh, well, hopefully, um, the team at Pacific Beat and my, me myself, Sydney My Music Bowl is just across from our studios. Um, so yes, yes we'd correct. love to see you there. Um, and finally, Sprigger, last we chatted, I think um, at the end of last year, just before Danielle, your um, compatriot in Papua yes. New Guinea, won Pacific Break. Yes. Um, we were yep. we were chatting about your own album. How's that going? Yes, correct. Um, so my album, I'll be launching it. At the Pacific's, at the Sydney Maya Bowl. So that's the oh, platform wow. that I plan on launching my album. So once I launch the album, then say an hour or two after the, all my, my album should be on all streaming platforms. So it's been, uh, it's been a three year long wait. Well, because of COVID and just the business side of things that I was sorting out. So yeah, that's oh. the plan. I plan to launch my album internationally because I recorded in Melbourne as well. Yes. So yes. What, what what better venue and city to launch it but than in Melbourne at the Sydney Maya Bowl. So 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's so exciting. That's the plan. Well, that's in March, um, the P- Pacific's um, Music Festival. Yeah, March 18th. March that's 18th. on the Saturday, yep. Oh, lovely. And yeah. the um, launch date for your new album. Exciting stuff, Sprigger. And I'd love yes. to play your song, Dodge the Bullet. Do you mind introducing yeah. it before we play it? Maybe say a few words about it um, to throw to the song? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Thank you. Hey, uh, this is Spigger Mac, um, winner of um, 2019-2020 Pacific Break competition. Yeah, this is my song, Dodge the Bullet. Uh, please have a listen, in, uh, if, even if you don't understand the language in prison, but the chorus should make sense. It's about just standing up for your rights and keeping it real. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you, Spigger. No worries. Thank you, guys. That, of course, is Sprigamek with his song Dodge the Bullet that will soon be screened internationally at the Washington, D.C. Mother Tongue Festival. And with that, we come to the end of Pacific Beat. Thanks for joining me, Priyanka Srinivasan, this Wednesday morning. I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, have a lovely day.